Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Trojan fans, and welcome to another episode of the Peristyle Podcast. This week is episode number 41, and we will be talking all about the upcoming rivalry game, USC versus Notre Dame. Our first segment, will have Coach Harvey Hyde breaking it all down for us, and later on in the show, we have a special guest, Gary Klein, the longtime USC beat writer for the Los Angeles Times. He will join us for the first time on the podcast. We'll get his insights. He's been around this rivalry for quite a while. Just want to let everyone know if you have any questions or comments for us, you can always drop us an email, podcast at uscfootball.com. That is podcast at uscfootball.com. I want to welcome in Coach Harvey Hyde again, our first segment. He's always with us. Thank you very much for joining us today, Coach. Well, thank you very much, Ryan, and happy Thanksgiving to everyone out there. And, uh, wow, it is a big week. We've got a lot of football going on, a lot of turkey to eat, uh, a lot of football to watch and attend, of course, the USC-Notre Dame game. And this is a huge weekend, and we'll talk about it as far as determining who might be going where. Yeah, this is a huge weekend. I love getting me some of that trip to fan. I love eating all that turkey, fall asleep on the couch, watching some football. Uh, Saturday, of course, is the big game with Notre Dame. If you need tickets for that, I just want to let everyone know our sponsor for the Peristyle Podcast, Southern California Tickets. SCTickets.com is the URL. You can give them a call, 1-800-888-7287. It is sold out according to USC, so if you want to get tickets, just give SCTickets.com a try. Coach, I'm sure you're, you're going to the game. You don't need to use SC Tickets this week, right? Well, not this week, but I also want to uh, let everyone know that they also have UCLA-USC tickets on the, for the game December the 6th, and they are hard to get too. so make sure they call Southern California Ticket Service, and maybe you'll attend both of the games, and you didn't, you didn't think you were going. Yeah, definitely. It's a good time for uh, Trojan fans, especially for the rivalries, because you know so many years, Coach, when I was going to school, uh, SC was losing to both Notre Dame and, USC, and uh, UCLA, now, I think, I think some of the fans get spoiled a little bit. I mean, USC's been beating these teams on a regular basis. You know, two years ago, obviously, uh, UCLA had that upset. But it's just it's a good time to be a Trojan fan. Even if, you know, you could worry about the national championship, you can complain about the offense, whatever you want. But to be able to beat your rivals just about every year, is, it's a pretty good feeling, I would think. I agree with you 100%. It uh, helps in recruiting. It helps in school pride. It helps in uh you know, the national scope and of your university. And, and by the way, I don't know if you can hear my dog in the background, but I wanted everybody to know who has a <laughs> pet or a dog, my dog is saying, Happy Thanksgiving. She's really upset at me because I didn't let her do it earlier. Uh, okay, well, Happy Thanksgiving to everyone out there. Yeah, Coach, this is one of my favorite weekends of the year. I moved out to uh, Southern California way back in 1989 to uh, attend USC, and I've I had a tradition every year of – kind of cooking for all the transplants. So I've never gone back home uh, for Thanksgiving. I always stay around here and we, you know, sometimes you have five people over, sometimes you have 16, whatever it is, cooking Thanksgiving. But just my favorite day on, you know, there's college football, there's NFL, you know, eating turkey, stuffing, mashed potatoes. It's just such a great weekend. And then every other year 
when you also have Notre Dame in town, it's just it just makes the weekend perfect. You got all this football on Thursday, even some more on Friday, turkey sandwiches, and then you get to go tailgate for USC and Notre Dame. You're exactly right. Give me your address. I'll be over. Okay. Come on over, Coach. I hear you're gonna you're gonna be on Catalina cooking up. You're probably eating like a Mai Mai or something on Thanksgiving. Yeah, I'm going across the uh, the sea to Catalina. I'll tell you, I don't know how many people like to go over there during this time of year, but we love it to see the leaves on the ground and a little rain maybe coming down and uh, just sit around and as, as a family and watch the games. And you know, when I get over there, see, it, it sort of captures me. I can't do anything else. And I really like that because when I'm always here, I'm always doing something or someone's calling or I'm having to go somewhere. But when I get over there, I sort of lock myself in the house and it's perfect. All right. Well, Notre Dame comes into town, like we said, this weekend. Uh, obviously, it's a huge loss for them. It's, it's funny now when you have USC fans in the BCS kind of rooting for teams that you've already beat, like Virginia and Ohio State, and teams you have to face coming up, even if it's an arch rival, Notre Dame. Uh, a lot of the USC fans were actually disappointed when Notre Dame, you know, found a way to lose to a two and eight Syracuse team that had already fired their coach. Uh, I, where do you see this program right now, Coach? I mean, there's so much talk going on about Charlie Weiss and all this, but have you been surprised at the way this program has performed in the last couple of years? Yes, uh, I have been because it's one of the greatest coaching traditional jobs in the country. You put that with SC, Notre Dame, Ohio State, Michigan, Alabama, and the rest of the, that that level of competition. You know, there's uh, probably more Heisman trophies out of Ohio State, Notre Dame, and USC than any other school in the country. And there's so much pride down at Notre Dame. There's so much pride in in Notre Dame and. And uh, they hear all the talk shows and all this, the people talking about Notre Dame and how embarrassing it is and barely beating Navy. And, you know, when you think about it, Navy's the only team with a winning record that they've beaten this year. So they start looking at different things in the program. Has it improved? Uh, how's the recruiting? The offense isn't worth a darn and this and that. And all of a sudden you start making a list of why the program isn't any good. Yet uh, some of the top recruits in the country, and you know, that always hurts you as a coach when you have a great recruiting year or several great recruiting years or ranked high in recruiting by all these different services and you don't win, it costs you your job. Jerry Faust had that, that problem at Notre Dame. He had two or three number one recruiting class and didn't win and, and he was gone. And, you know, Charlie sort of faced that same thing he, or coach-wise. You know, he's, he's faced, he's had great recruiting years, but you haven't seen the program improving. And, and, uh, some of the wins they've had are, are, you know, wins that could have gone the other way. You know, they could have beaten North Carolina. They could have beaten a couple of these other teams. They lost in the last second. They could have beat Pitt. They could have been, but could have and should have and all of that, just like SC could have been Oregon, beat Oregon State. Uh, you know, you can't talk about that. Every game's a playoff game and so on. And, you know, when you look at the number of dollars that Notre Dame generates, now let's look at one phase of their program, contributions to the university, the pride at Notre Dame. You look at their TV package. Their TV package is one that no one else has. They get something like $20 million or $24 million a year from NBC. And, and all of a sudden, NBC is going to say, if people aren't watching and the ratings are going down, hey, wait a minute, we might not want to renew this contract or we're not getting the returns that we're paying you on, especially with the economy the way it is. So, uh, you know, they get pressure there saying, hey, we got to win to be on national television. 
So there's a lot of different things that, you know, the marketing of their jerseys, their hats, it, it affects the morale of the school. It, it, it affects so much the, the football program to the school, the university, the boosters, and so on, because that school is basically known not only for its academics, but before the tradition of Notre Dame and, and football at Notre Dame. So it's huge, and, uh, you know, uh, I, I don't ever want to wish bad things on coaches because everyone knows what coaching is all about today. When they pay you $4 million a year, they expect returns from that, that type of payment. So, you know, you sort of live with that, and, and you wait and see what's going to happen. And, and I think this week's game with USC – is a key as far as what's going to happen. Yeah, I think we're, we'll talk about that in a little bit. I wanted to touch on one thing. I was watching the game, and uh, I really couldn't believe it when they you know, blew it at the end and gave up that touchdown to Syracuse. I started to see, uh, you know, USC had a bye week, so it was fun. I could actually watch some games this weekend. Started to see some snowballs coming in uh, from the stands, people being, you know, some of the snowballs being thrown on the field. Uh, what, I, what I saw on TV was just snowballs being thrown onto the field. Then I read uh, some of the articles, and, and Pete Sampson does a good job covering Notre Dame for the uh, Notre Dame um, USC, uh, rival site, the Notre Dame rival site. And uh, he had written a, a story about, you know, there was players on the sidelines, on the bench, Notre Dame players getting hit by snowballs from the student section. You know, one guy got hit like twice, once in the back of the head, I think once in the face. I mean, it seems to be there's a lot of frustration you know, in South Bend right now. I mean, this team, they kind of blamed Tyrone Willingham in the first couple of years, but, you know, now Charlie Weiss has been there quite a while. He's got a bunch of his own players in there now, and they're not seeing the same kind of results. I mean, it just seems like the frustration level is, like, super high right now. No, it really is. And first of all, I don't condone that at all. Because they, you should not put that on players. You should not put that... Uh, on young student-athletes that are out there that are trying and doing their best and to throw snowballs or to boo college kids. I just don't buy that, okay? Now, people have a right because they pay to get in like anything else because of promotions and so on, or they pay. and they. But, but I don't think that's right to boo your university or boo anything team. You know, sometimes the officials get booed because they may have blow a call of some type and so on. You know, I can condone that because I've said a few sharp words to officials too. But, 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 but to boo, boo teams, uh, boo, boo your own team or throw snowballs, which is the same thing as booing your team, you know, causing that or, or condoning that, you know, that's not right. You know, if I was sitting next to a gentleman or a person throwing a snowball, then I'd say, hey, knock it off. You know, that, that's not right. Don't do that. Uh, just so so I don't like that I don't think that's right I think the administration has to make the right decisions on what's going to happen at Notre Dame I, I heard today that uh, people are saying the buyout agreement with Charlie Weiss is not as big as what a lot of people think who, who knows but whatever's the best for for Notre Dame and Notre Dame football and coach wise and so on I hope it's done fairly I hope uh, that he has the opportunity to continue and uh, uh, give him a chance. But, but who knows? You know, the pressures sometime out there are so great that university officials are forced to make a change. Uh, Coach, just talk about Charlie Weiss for a little bit. I mean, he, he kind of came in with a lot of fanfare. Um, you know, he uh, got signed to that huge extension after not having, you know, I don't know, I'm not sure why they signed it. I think a lot of people are questioning that. I think he actually signed, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Coach, but he signed a contract similar to what you had at UNLV. Is that correct? Or 
Well, they, they sort of patterned it off, off of mine. The, o- the only difference was the, the decimal point was at a different spot okay. and the zeros, okay? There wasn't as many commas. He wasn't, a, you know, not a three comma. Mine was the tip money. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, I mean, he obviously signed to a huge contract uh, many, many years. Um, I mean, he's he's on the hot seat. I don't think there's any question that he's not on the hot seat, but because they signed him to su- such a long deal, uh, what? how do you see this playing out? I mean, there were there was people talking about, you know, 50-50, if, if he can't beat USC. Obviously, if he beats USC, he can do what Carl Durrell did and save his job at least for another year. Um, I'm not sure if firing him would be the right thing to do uh, at this point. I mean, if you're a Notre Dame fan and you want to see – I mean, I, I you almost have to give him another year. You're not. I'm, I'm not super satisfied with the direction he's been bringing the program, but I, I'm not sure firing coaches after three, four years, every three or four years, is going to help your program any. I mean, you know, another year you could get a little more stable. It's not the hardest schedule again next year. What do you What do you make of the situation there? And, and do you think Coach Hyde? I mean, uh, Coach <laughs> Coach Weiss, from what you've seen, has the capabilities of turn this thing around. Well, let me let me just just talk frankly, not not as a coach, and so on. I think he's in serious trouble. I think he's in serious trouble. And if I was to bet or or say what's going to happen, I would say that if he loses to USC, I would think that he's going to be gone. They're going to end up six and six. That's not satisfactory as far as for Notre Dame football fans paying someone four million dollars a year or plus that, uh, and and they're not going in the direction that they want to go. Uh, there's, you know, stories that that that, that this university and him uh, don't get along. That he's been arrogant to a lot of the uh, past players, and he's tried to change and so on. And then all of a sudden, he says, "I'm going to call the plays the last two games." And probably the last two games have had their worst offensive performance that's happened at Notre Dame. To me, uh, you know, when I watch all, you know, he's got a bad leg. He's limping around. I don't know how healthy he is and so on. He's got a lot of pressure on him. Recruits you know, are now starting starting probably to question their verbal commits and, and what's going to happen there. Maybe I'll pull out and go somewhere else and so on. If the players aren't happy, they don't do a great job of recruiting when they go home for the holidays. If you remember a few years ago, and it wasn't that long ago, Notre Dame was invited to a bowl game and they had only won six or seven games. I forget what it was. or Maybe it was eight games. They didn't even accept the bowl game was they didn't consider it a good enough season that they should be honored as a, or give their players and coaches a bonus to go to that bowl game. Now, if they were to go to a bowl game this year, wow, uh, i tell you, what bowl game are they going to go to? Is that embarrassing for Notre Dame to play in a bowl game like that or, or, or whoever they might play against in that bowl game and then take the possibility of getting beat? I'm going to tell you, they don't want to play TCU. They don't want to play teams like that in a bowl game. If you remember, do you remember the bowl game uh, when Oregon State played them in the Fiesta Bowl and yeah. they blew them completely out? They don't need that type of embarrassment. So, you know, they're on that bubble right now. If they lose or, you know, they're bowl eligible and they can go, they might not want to go to a bowl game because it's just more pressure and more embarrassment on the football program if they go and some team from, you know, I'm not saying what conference it is, blows them out or beats them. What does that do of their image? And I think they're more concerned at Notre Dame about their image, the image they have, and, and how they represent that image and so on. You know, he's tried the green jerseys. He's tried the high grass, long grass back there when SC played. You know, he's tried all these different things. 
and he's failed at all of them, and he's been criticized at all of these things that he's done. So, you know, I, I think that uh, this is a key game for him this Saturday, and uh, that might be might not be enough. Even if he plays SC close and maybe even beats SC, I'm not sure that would even be enough. Wow. I, I think if he beats SC that's as a 29-point underdog or whatever, that would have they would have to – 30. Make, give it the 30-point yeah. underdog. But on the bowl game, it's interesting. I, I, I don't remember the exact year. It's like 1993 or ninety. the last time Notre Dame's won a bowl game. But you could argue that they're always getting into higher bowl games than what they should. I mean, they shouldn't have really been in the Sugar Bowl a couple well, years ago when they got smoked by LSU. Uh, they got smoked in that Fiesta Bowl by Oregon State. Now, after down year, down year, uh, they're going to be, you know, most likely six and six if they lose. You know, obviously if they lose on Saturday, maybe they do get into a a bowl that's more, you know, the, that's more at their level where they do get to play a a Maryland or, or somebody, you know, that's that's decent but not, you know, way better than them, and gives them a shot to at least win a bowl game. So if you win like the Detroit Car Care Bowl or whatever, at least you did win a bowl, you get that kind of monkey off your back. I don't know, Coach, maybe because of their record, they get into a, they don't get in over their head in a bowl game like they have been in years past because of just their reputation. Well, they've been getting into it. If you remember, they were the only team that the BCS allowed not being in the conference to, to get a BCS bowl game because that's the reputation they had. They could go to a BCS bowl game if they're ranked in the top 12 in the country and play at a BCS bowl game and get the full amount that a whole conference used to get. You remember that? Yeah, that's crazy. Now they've changed that. They, they don't get that. They get what one team would get from a conference because when they went to these bowl games, they were taking home $12 million for themselves. They didn't have to split with any conference or anybody. So that's what the image of Notre Dame and the power of what Notre Dame football has been. If they were to go and play in Maryland, or somebody like you said there, there's, that's not a def. I think they'd be an, an underdog. Oh yeah, it's not a definite win, but at no, least it gives. It's, it's not. Underdog. It's now, not LSU where they were going to get smoked no matter what, you know. Yeah, but that doesn't help their program. I would be a bit surprised if they would not accept the bowl game. Uh, I, I really wouldn't because I don't know how it would help them. And if they were to get beat in the bowl game by one of these other teams, uh, I'm not quite sure uh, that it would what it would do to their program. It hurt them more. So, I, I don't know. They're, they were, they're in a real problem. They're in a difficult situation. Uh, they can't put off their decisions. They've either got to endorse Coach Wise or they've got to say, we're making a change. But the longer it goes, the worse it gets. So there's got to be a strong endorsement that comes out from the university or they got to make a change. All right, we're with the coach, Harvey Hyde. Coach, uh, I think people have got to know your personality, uh, at least if they listen to the uh, local radio here in L.A. when you're on the pregame or on the Trojan Brunch. And, of course, here the last 41 weeks or so on the Peristyle podcast, get a, a feel for you know what makes you tick and what your personality is like. Uh, there's been a lot of talk about Charlie Weiss's personality and, and Coach Carroll as well. You know, Coach Carroll toiled in the, the NFL for years and, uh, you know, they he got a lot of accolades. People, you know, liked him as a coach. He did. He got fired twice, obviously, as a head coach. And when he came to college, it just seemed to be a perfect fit. You know, his personality seems to work better with the younger players, the players that aren't making millions of dollars. And uh, you know, his being able to control everything and recruit and and just have to, you know his thumb on the entire program. 
it seems to work well for Coach Carroll. He's the results obviously speak for himself for themselves. Uh, Charlie Weiss, I mean, I guess you could argue that you know you said before he's alienated a lot of people. Sometimes the players aren't real fans of him. There's talks of you know favoritism with certain players, things like that. There's a lot of those kind of rumblings. Uh, do you buy into the the theory that there's certain personalities that are definitely more suited towards one of the two aspects of football, NFL or college, for coaches? Yeah, I really do. Uh, I think in college, you've got to be a, a, a coach's, a, a player's coach. I really do. Players have got to want to play for you. You've got to be able to care about them. You can't spank a baby. You can't spank a kid unless you know that kid loves you. I'll tell you, but once that kid knows you love them and would do anything for them, hey, they'll cover that kickoff for you. They'll kill for you. And, and I think that's what Pete Carroll's personality is. He cares about the people. He cares about the community. He cares not only about the football team. He cares about his, his foundation. He cares about the volleyball team, the swimming team at USC. After the Washington game, I think it was the Washington game, where he could go out and celebrate or go home and watch the Oklahoma-Texas Tech game, his wife and him went to five games of the volleyball team at the Galen Center set there i mean that's that's tremendous i mean who else does that so he's this type of person he's a people's person he's got a great smile he's a good looking guy uh he's uh, works the crowd he he's he's got a energy that's unbelievable so you know he's he's a he's a player's coach and he's a university type of coach he represents the university well he may go down. He may go down as the greatest all-time coach at USC. And you talk about the pros. He doesn't need to go to the pros. He's got his pro team. The only difference is he's the owner at SC and the coach and the <laughs> and the general manager and everything. He makes all the decisions. And Mike Garrett and him work so well together that you know Mike Garrett makes it where coach whatever you need, let's do it. And and that's the work working togetherness that you really need. And and I think. You know, some coaches go and try to work with kids and and go in with a different attitude like, you know, uh, I'm this person and I come here with this reputation. You better buy in or get out. And kids will say, oh, really? Prove to me how good you are. And in the NFL, it's a different attitude. In the NFL, it's I'll respect you if you can teach me something and keep me in the NFL. But the longer I play in the NFL – with the contracts that they have today, the more money I make in the NFL. So coaches like certain or players like certain coaches in the NFL, not only because they win, but if they can enhance and, and extend their longevity and number of seasons, like Bill Belichick can do by taking players and they play forever and ever and ever when they can't play for someone else, hey, they love coaches like that, and they'll do anything he says because they know it works. Yeah. Now you've been a part of you know the coaching fraternity for quite a while. Is there anything Charlie Weiss, in your opinion, can do? I mean, if that's just his personality, can he learn on the job? Can he say, you know what, I have to treat these guys more like my kids than I do people like uh, underlings or employees? Is there is there something he can do, or is it kind of, in your opinion, if that's the way he is, it's just not going to change? Well, you know, I used to always tell my assistant coaches when they had a, got a head job. Don't change because they interviewed you and they liked you for what the way you are. And you you can't change. You know, you either have a personality or you have the energy level or you don't. You know, you've seen all coaches win. You've seen Jim Tressel, the way he wins. 
He doesn't show a lot of emotion, but his players love him. You can see that. They love him. Uh, if you're around an Ohio State uh, alumnus from when he, who played for Woody Hayes, hey, you better not say anything bad about not Ohio State. You might be able to say something bad about Ohio State, but don't ever say anything bad about Woody Hayes. You're in deep trouble. So, you know, it, it, there's a passion there between your players and the coaches and the coaching staff itself. I, I don't know if it's if it's too late for him to change his attitude. He did try to change by giving up the offensive coordinatorship, open up his practices to the alumni where at first he did not have open practices. If you were an All-American at Notre Dame and you wanted to go watch practice, you couldn't go watch practice. And that, that really upset a lot of people, especially the players that have played there, because they looked at Charlie Wise as, what did you do at Notre Dame? And, and don't get me wrong, but he went to Notre Dame, but he didn't play at Notre Dame. You know, Rudy played more plays than he did. <laughs> so, you, you know what I mean? So it's a, not that he wasn't a great offensive coordinator for New England. He was. But, you know, maybe not everybody fits the, 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 the architect of a certain type of environment and, and situation. You know, SC struggled, too, at times with a couple of their coaches. And they lost a little bit of their momentum for several years. But Pete Carroll's come back and, and brought that momentum back. So, you know, it's, you've got to look to find the right combination of the right coach to fit the right keyhole that turns the key and opens the door and everything works right. Now, you, you mentioned Woody Hayes, and I, I think with guys like that, you know, especially some of the older coaches that are a little more gruff and were very, you know, they're stern and strict and kind of ruled with an iron fist. I think if you won under guys like that, even today, then you would have kind of the respect of the players and you, you would have their devotion. You know, if Charlie Weiss was going to a BCS bowl game every year and, you know, he was kind of gruff and people didn't like him. I think they would still defend him because they were winning. And, you know, maybe you don't like him. Maybe you don't like the way he treats you or the way he treats other people or he plays favorites or whatever, but he's winning. I mean, I, I think the bad part now is unless he can turn it around and win, he has to change. If he wants to be a college coach, it seems like he's going to have to change. Like you said, he made some changes. He would have to. Otherwise, without that winning factor, you're not going to have any of these people having your back because you're not putting up the W's on the scoreboard. No, you're exactly right, and I'll tell you. I'll give you an example of a coach that can do that. You Are you ready? Sure. Nick Saban. Nick Saban has won at every university he's been at. And he went and he coached the, the Dolphins, and it just didn't work. He came back now at LSU. You ever watch him during the game? Man, I'm going to tell you, don't be standing next to him. No. I'll tell you, he is <laughs> into it. You better run off the field. You better run on the field if you're assistant coach. You better turn the volume down because you're going to yell on the phone anyway. You're going to be able to hear him no matter where you are, even if you're in the press box without a headset on. So, you know, but he, he's a coach, and, the, and they buy into who he is, and he's proven himself in college. And, and they're buying. Look what he's done in two years at Alabama. So, you know, people see this, and they say, well, why can't we do this at Notre Dame? So, you know, you've got you've to have the right chemistry. You've got to be able to to. to, to Go to a university with the, the philosophy of knowing college kids and, and get it done. Nick Saban would win wherever he goes. Look at Bill Snyder now, coming back at 69 years old at Kansas State University. I, you know, I know Bill when he was used to be a high school coach at Foothill High School in Orange County. You probably don't know this. And, you know, he went on and, and look at him at 69 years old, coming back. I'm glad he's not in the division, though, with Oklahoma 
<laughs> Texas, Texas, Texas. In that group, he's in over with Nebraska and Missouri and them. But to come back to try try to bring back the, the pride in the, in the Kansas State football program, which isn't bad, except he taught them how to win there. And they wanted to win there. And he won more games there combined than anybody in the history of the school has won. So Bill Snyder comes back, gets a new contract, and is going to try to straighten it out. But it's not easy to do because kids have got to relate to you. They've got to know who you are. And in this situation, Bill Snyder's got to get himself a great staff, just like Joe Paterno has. Hey, Joe Paterno isn't calling plays. Joe Paterno isn't running around the field teaching people how to block. Joe Paterno is the image and the, uh, the foundation of Penn State football. I mean, here's a guy, one day after he accepts the invitation of going to the Rose Bowl, is having his hip surgery done. <laughs> I, I mean, isn't he uh, amazing? And he's out of the hospital already. He's out of the hospital doing his rehab. And you watch, when he comes to Pasadena, he'll throw his cane down, and he'll be ready to go. Yeah, Coach, does that so, inspire you? Uh, you see Snyder coming back, Paterno, Bowden. Do you want to get back into the coaching ranks any time, or is, are you well, done? Well, right now I'm having more fun with you. All okay. right. Well, that's good. One, one quick thing. I know we're running really long on this one, but one, hopefully everyone's enjoying it. Uh, I remember when Coach Hackett, I know it's a bad word around USC, so sorry, everybody. That you could say he who, not, who should not be named or whatever, but Coach Hackett came in. They were doing their uh, – their fall camp down at UC Irvine, and it was pretty brutal. And uh, the players had just come back from that, and they were doing like three workouts a day. I mean, it was they were he was getting worked really hard, and uh, the players were getting worked really hard. And I sat down with one of the offensive linemen, was chatting with him, and he was saying, "I'm like, you know, what do you think about this? Is this worth it? And uh, you know, it, what do you think the results are going to be?" And he and he basically he was pretty frank. He's like, he didn't mind doing it as long as it worked, as long as they won. But if they weren't winning, he knew that they were, you know, it was just more like a boot camp thing and they were just getting pushed around for the sake of being pushed around as opposed to someone had this master plan that if you work this hard, you're going to, it's going to translate into wins. And obviously for Coach Hackett, that didn't end up happening. Didn't happen, but, um, you know, there's a philosophy everyone has and you've got to make sure that the kids buy into what you do and they see results from it. It's like anything else. How would you like to have a tutor? Remember, a coach is a teacher. You'd like to have a tutor for a class, and he tutors you for a test, and you failed the test and didn't know one answer. You'd start to think, is it me? Is it me that I understand I got admitted to the school? Or am I not learning the proper way? When I ask a question, I'm not grasping what I'm supposed to be grasping to be successful and pass the test. You know, on Saturdays when you play a football game, you know, you've been preparing and studying all week with game plans. You're supposed to pass the test which means if my X is bigger than your O and I can't pass the test, if I'm smarter than you are, which comes to athletic ability against other teams, then somehow I'm not being tutored right or taught right. That just makes sense. So, you know, that's what you have to look at, and that can be good for you or it can be bad for you, depending if you're successful and you get the A, then it's good for you, it's good for the teacher. If you can't pass the class, then it's not good for either. Right. All right, Coach. Well, thank you very much for this little extended segment. We got to, uh, it's always fun talking about Notre Dame and the rivalry and stuff. So we'll talk to you next week. Hope you have a great Thanksgiving, and uh, we'll be able to review this game and talk about the big one with UCLA. You got it, buddy. And by the way, I want to mention this. I don't know if you know this. Tim Davis, who was the offensive line coach at 
USC. Yes, yes. Just he just hired. He was just hired uh, this week at the University of Minnesota. Oh, great! Good luck for him. And uh, he was a, he was a fun guy. Another guy that was kind of polarizing. It was very uh, stern, and I did a lot of yelling, a lot of screaming, but a lot of people oh, liked him. He, I liked him. I, I think he was the best. I, I really do. I loved it when Ed, Ed Orgeron and him used to go against each other. Yeah, that was wow. Some, wasn't that great? That was some fun battles. Yep. Well, listen. Uh, happy Thanksgiving to everyone out there. Uh, sit back, relax, enjoy football, and I tell you, just be uh, happy that we're all, you know, have this opportunity to enjoy the great American game. Yes, Coach, thank you very much. Hope you enjoy your time in Catalina. Everyone else, we'll have a really quick break and come back talking to Gary Klein of the L.A. Times. The Parastyle Podcast will be back after this short break. Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287. 1-800-888-7287. That's 1-800-888-7287. Or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concert, sports, and theater. USC Trojan fans, to get into the huddle of your Southern Cal Trojans, log on to uscfootball.com today for all the latest in Trojan football, basketball, and recruiting news. Ryan Abraham will give you an in-depth analysis, recruiting updates, and will answer your questions every day on the message board. So for all the latest in team and recruiting news on your USC Trojans, check out uscfootball.com, the officially licensed Southern Cal site of the Rivals.com network. We now return to the Parastyle Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Abraham. Welcome back to the Parastyle Podcast. As promised, we have a very special guest in this segment of the podcast. We are joined by Los Angeles Times USC beat writer, Gary Klein. Gary, how's everything going today? Great, Ryan. Thanks for having me with you. Ah, no problem, everyone. Uh, Gary Klein, if you're not familiar with his work, you definitely should be. He's been the uh, USC beat writer for the last seven years for the LA Times. He's also the co-author of Conquest, a book that came out a few years ago. Pete Carroll and the Trojans Climbed to the Top of the College Football Mountain. He wrote that with David Wharton and have a really nice forward by uh, Pat Hayden. So, do, Gary, people still talk to you about that book? It came out a few years ago. Yeah, it still does come up occasionally. I think uh, people who kind of pine for that uh, those first four years when uh, Carroll and Chow and Ogeron and uh, that gang was all together – that's really, um, you know, the time that uh, the book encapsulates, or at least attempts to, uh, kind of carrying over from the Hackett era into the way that uh, Carroll turned it around and uh, ultimately uh, led them to the, the BCS title in 2004. Yeah, it's a, definitely a must-read for Trojan fans. I like going back and looking through it again. You pick up stuff that you kind of forgot about, so check it out. I'm sure you can get it, probably get it on Amazon and any place Online. I, think, I, think, I think you can bookstore. get it on Amazon. Uh, the USC bookstore I know carries it and uh, and and it continues to sell. So those are uh, those are both places you can get it. All right, I can check that out. So uh, Gary obviously had a bye week. I just wanted to uh, talk briefly. There was a strange part of the se- the beginning of the season was a little strange. They had like a bye week and then another bye week with that Thursday game. Uh, this they played eight games in a row. And now they had a bye week there. Do you think this is coming at a good time, or do you think they should have just? It would have been easier for them to play right through and, and not have any more bye weeks the rest of the season. No, I think this uh, this one actually uh, came at a, at a perfect time for them. Just in terms of, uh, as you mentioned, they had that eight game stretch. 
where uh, as fit as as these players uh, are, that that's you know that's quite a long stretch to play without a break. And I think uh, given that they've got the two rivalry games with Notre Dame and US, UCLA coming up at the end, it it gave them a chance to. Uh, not only heal some of the guys that had some bumps and bruises that, that weren't so obvious, it also gave uh, someone like Kevin Ellison an extra week to uh, to attempt to get back in time for uh, his final game at the Coliseum and, uh, and, and possibly uh, UCLA and then the bowl game. So uh, from a momentum standpoint, I, it, 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 it hasn't struck me that they were really rolling on on uh, you know, some, <laughs> some unstoppable force. It, it really actually, I think, gave them a chance to regroup uh, after that uh, Stanford game, and kind of uh, figure out what, how they wanted to approach these last few games. So again, I think I think it came at a good time for them. Obviously, Notre Dame is not—they're uh, not riding some uh, <laughs> some super wave of college football, you know, uh, blissfulness or anything. I mean, they're they're struggling. They they just lost to Syracuse. It's a big rivalry game, and I think Pete Carroll does put a lot of focus into it. But is there any chance this could be one of those? They overlook the opponent just because Notre Dame's struggling so much. Uh, I, I don't think so. Um, you know, one of the reasons I think, as you mentioned, it's such a, it's a big game, and and while it may not be uh, quite as huge as as it has in in some years past in terms of uh, different things that are riding on it, in terms of Heisman trophies or uh, national championships or anything like that, I think. Um, you know, once game time is there and that Coliseum is full and the sun is set, I, I think there will be plenty of buzz and, and whatnot. But uh, I think the fact that it's the final home game for these for these seniors for a, a, another you know a very successful senior class, um, it, that's kind of going to be the focus this week. And and I think when, by the time USC gets onto the field, while they're very much aware of of how Notre Dame has struggled, uh, I don't think it's going to make much difference uh, on Saturday. I, I don't see this as a game. Uh, if we wanted to go back to like an early season game at Oregon State, where the opponent is going to be overlooked, just because um, there's too there's too much focus on this. It's the end of the year. They're trying to you know salvage uh, a good bowl game, maybe with a long shot chance of getting to that title game. Uh, I just don't see a drop off at this point. Yeah, you mentioned all the Heisman trophies. It, it's kind of interesting. USC played Ohio State and Notre Dame this season, and and each of those schools lead the nation with seven Heisman trophies each. So yeah, there's a lot. A lot on the line there. Have you have you seen this rivalry evolve, rivalry ugh, rivalry? Can I say that correctly? Evolve at all? Uh, you know, in the in the seven years you've been covering USC, obviously USC won the last uh, six of them. But have you seen it change at all with you know Charlie Weiss coming in and doing what he's doing? Well, I, you know, as you mentioned, I, I've I've only been covering it uh, every year I've covered at USC has won, so <laughs> there hasn't been much change there. But of course, there was that stretch where uh, USC couldn't beat Notre Dame for a, a long stretch either. So it's kind of come and gone. I, I think, um, like most people, I think after that uh, 2005 game, such a dramatic game at Notre Dame, um, I, I kind of looked at it as you know geez, this is going to really be exciting year after year after year uh, with Carroll and, and Weiss and, and, and uh, you know, how I think uh, and a lot of people thought recruiting would go for Notre Dame based on some of that, uh, you know, some of the impact that he had initially. Uh, but it hasn't. You know, it just hasn't. Uh, I think uh, last year was a, a real eye-opener for people just in terms of how much distance there seemed to be between the programs uh, to go there and shut them out. 
um, with your backup quarterback, uh, are, although he played well, uh, I think spoke volumes. And just kind of the speed that was on the field or wasn't on the field for Notre Dame and some of those, uh, you know, some of those things, uh, I came away from that game thinking, wow, this is, uh, there is, there's much more uh, ground to be made up than, than I think anyone thought initially. Yeah, you mentioned that 2005 game. And, uh, you know, obviously with Charlie Weiss struggling and, and a lot of the Notre Dame fans talking about buyouts and he got that super extension. I mean, I think the, the big feather in Weiss's cap was the game they lost. That game with, you, you know, it was so close and they almost beat, you know, Bush and Leiner and all those guys. But it, it was, his biggest impact, it seemed to be a game that he lost to USC. I think you're right. And, and if I'm not mistaken, I you know, that's the game. Uh, after which he he signed such a long contract <laughs> extension that Notre Dame wanted to to lock him up. Now, uh, you know, it, it, I think it's fashionable this week, uh, you know, to jump on the bandwagon and and bash uh, Charlie Weiss and say he's done. And and you know what, he may be. Who knows? But uh, uh, you know, we've seen in college football things go in cycles. So uh, we'll we'll have to see if uh, if the if Notre Dame actually uh, drops drops the axe if uh, if USC beats them. Um, that wouldn't surprise a lot of people, um, but at the same time, who knows? Maybe they'll give him another year or two, and uh, and we'll see if they can if they can get that thing turned around. Now, what you got to hear him this week? What did he sound? I mean, it didn't sound like he was a defeated coach or anything, it's, but it, it did sound like he had to uh, he had an uphill battle at least coming up on Saturday. Yeah, he didn't sound defeated, but I think anyone who listened to his press conferences over the last few years before the USC game. Uh, it was a much different vibe. I think those those press conferences where he kind of sits up there and, and basically goes through USC's roster, you know, position by position, man by man, with stats and everything else, uh, left most people thinking, "Wow, you know, he, he, it was just it was something you just don't normally get." Uh, with coaches, with opposing coaches. Uh, and that's not the way uh, it's been this week. He's obviously been under fire, uh, you know, fielding questions from the media and, uh, and you know, not only about his situation, but about the, the situation of the program. Uh, so it's just been a different, it, it's been a, a much, different, uh, much different feel than it has been the last few years. Uh, I want to talk about the uh, rivalry games a little bit. You mentioned they play UCLA the following week. From you know, you interact with a lot of people. Anyone else? If you uh, come to practice, you definitely want to talk to Gary Klein, one of the nicest guys out there for sure. Uh, but just when you're talking to people, talking to players, do you feel that uh, any of the players or some of the fans feel that Notre Dame is a bigger rivalry than UCLA, or vice versa? Or does it is it kind of change each year when the, you know the, the teams play out there? Uh, well, I don't think the UCLA um, rivalry ever really dies. <laughs> no matter who's dominating the series, uh, who's who's been winning the games or what whatnot, uh, that that seems to be the most fervent for everyone. Uh, Notre Dame, it strikes me, you know, the old guard, uh, you know, people over forty <laughs> or whatnot, uh, you know, they still regard that as a as a huge um, rivalry, and and they enjoy that, you know, the give and take and and the traditions and uh, that. That go with a, a series that dates back, you know, to this now at the 80th game. Um, and when they're both good, you know, when Notre Dame is good and when USC is good, there maybe is nothing better in college football. It's terrific. Um, but uh, you know, UCLA doesn't have to be very good. Or, or in years past, USC didn't have to be very good. I think for that rivalry to always be strong, to always uh, bring out a lot of emotion on both sides. And uh, I think that's that's kind of how it is today as well. 
Yeah, it seems definitely the younger generation. And I mean, to be honest, the fans pretty much haven't, if you're a, a recent graduate, you haven't lost as a USC fan to either Notre Dame or UCLA, except for that one time a couple of years ago. But it does seem like the, the older guard, like you said, that just that, there's just so much history there. Not as much hatred. It seems like there's more respect than the, the real hatred there is with the Crosstown rival. That's, that's the sense uh, that I get. Um, although I think, you know, on some levels, they're, they're, and I don't know if hatred is necessarily the <laughs> word, but jealousy, envy, whatever, uh, there, there's definitely an element, uh, you know, of that, I think, in the, uh, in the Notre Dame-USC rivalry. But, but as you mentioned, I think that's conducted on a little bit more respectful level, you know, save for a few incidents that have happened on the, you know, well-publicized incidents that have happened on the field and the tunnel and whatnot. Uh, I just, I don't, I don't think there's a comparison. You, the UCLA, uh, the UCLA connection, the local part of it, the fact that, you know, most of these players have played against each other, or grown up together, uh, and just, you know, the alumni bases uh, in Southern California are so fervent that uh, that's always, always makes for a, a special week and, uh, and a fun week. Yeah, okay. We're with Gary Klein of the Los Angeles Times, the longtime USC beat writer. Um, you said the 80th matchup between these two schools. Obviously, it's a long history there, a lot of tradition. I don't know if there's ever been one that they had more than a four-touchdown spread in one way or the other. Uh, I mean, 30-point, 29-point, whatever you want to say, favorites for USC. I, this seems like kind of unprecedented in the whole history of this rivalry. Uh, yeah, I, I have not uh, yet got to the research in terms of the biggest spreads, but I have to imagine that, that this is it, the largest, if not one of the largest. And, uh, you know, I think that speaks to a couple things. That speaks to the uh, perception of the state of the, of the Notre Dame program right now, uh, coming off that loss against Syracuse, the uncertainty surrounding Weiss. Uh, but I think a lot of that also has to do with USC uh, and the fact that uh, this is kind of the stretch run uh you know the odds makers i think are well aware of uh of how carol's teams have done uh, through november and how they've done against notre dame um the fact that usc uh while still a long shot uh, to get to the to national championship game um obviously uh, is is going to go out there and try and impress as many people as they can and uh with the bye week and and then that week to get healthy they should be raring to go the game, obviously with the 29-point spread, 30-point spread, not a lot of people are, are predicting it's going to be that close. But Notre Dame has had success against Pac-10 teams. I mean, their only road win did come against Washington, albeit Washington is uh, not a very powerful team. Uh, do you expect them to come out and, and kind of play well just because, you know, the, because of that loss and just come out and, and play better than a lot of the experts are predicting? Well, they're certainly hoping that they're going to. Um, but, I, you know, there's another factor at play here, and, and I don't think it can be discounted. And it, it'll obviously be very interesting for people in Southern California to watch. Uh, this is Jimmy Clausen's first game at the Coliseum. And uh, for a local, uh, a local player, uh, especially a quarterback, to come back and play in this environment, uh, packed stadium, so much riding on it, program struggling, you'd think you know, the odds are against him performing very, very well in his first game in this kind of setting in his hometown. Now, he may defy that. He may play very well. But uh, my sense is that he's going to be uh, a little bit nervous, and it's going to take him maybe uh, some time to get, uh, to get going. And I think that, again, plays into USC's favor, if in fact that's what transpires, because I think if a USC gets up early, uh, 
given all that's happening with Notre Dame, uh, for the for that team to get down and to get down early, it's going to be very difficult to come back and beat uh, USC at home. You make up a really good point with Clawson, and I think a lot of people were talking about some of the recruits that go back and forth. Uh, you know, one thing, Pete Carroll seems to play really well against guys that, you know, he kind of wanted. And he came out and said this week, you know, that was, he was definitely recruiting Clawson. That was a guy that they wanted. It was a better situation because he could step in and start right away at Notre Dame. But it seems like Pete Carroll gets up for those games a little bit more where there are guys, high-profile guys, that didn't go his way. Well, I don't know if he if he gets up for them anymore, but uh, certainly there's a familiarity he has with those kids, and his staff anyway has with those kids because they recruited them, they got to know them. Uh, he saw them, he saw him play a lot. So he's not only watching, you know, what he sees on game film, but he's got a little bit of background in terms of uh, in terms of how he performed in high school and and what his mindset might be and all those kinds of things. I think they all add up to. Uh, you know, to give coaches, to give you know USC players uh, a little bit of an advantage because they know what they're up against. I think, for example, the the first time they played uh, Jake Locker, you know, there was a little bit of an unknown element there. Everyone knew he was really good, but there weren't too many uh, players from SC that had played against him or seen him in high school. So he had some. He, there were some plays he made that I think, uh, if he had been a local player. You know, maybe maybe guys are a little bit more familiar with what he likes to do and what he doesn't like to do. Uh, I, I think with Clawson, uh, again, the thing that's going to be interesting is coming home and playing uh, at a state in a stadium in an area where he's from and where so many people are familiar with him. He obviously wants to do well against USC. I mean, he wants to lead his team to victory and and uh, help Notre Dame, you know, get back on track. And if he was able to lead them to a win at the Coliseum, that would be the you know the biggest win of of his college career. So there's a lot that goes into that, and you'd like to think, uh, you know, that quarterbacks are calm, cool, and collected, and nothing rattles them. Um, but uh, that's a lot to handle, I think, for a guy, uh, for a sophomore. So uh, we'll see how he does. Yeah, I mean, that USC defense is probably going to be uh, <laughs> ready to go, especially if the running game, their running game, if it isn't working, I think they're going to be after Clawson. But you mentioned there was an interesting thing I wanted you to touch on today and in, in one of your the, the piece you put in the L.A. Times. Speaking of the recruiting aspect, you talked about what Chris Gallipo did on his trip out to Notre Dame. If you would like to share that story, I thought it was pretty interesting. Well, I know I knew he was uh, having come from uh, Servite High in Anaheim, uh, which had uh, produced uh, Steve Berline, uh, former Notre Dame quarterback and uh, good pro with the with the Raiders and whatnot. Uh, I figured he was in the mix there. Was it would at least be looking at Notre Dame, even though he was a very early commit to USC. So. I just asked him, you know, about his experience and contact with Notre Dame, and he t- he told me a funny story uh, about going back there uh, for a junior day, uh, and that's also I think when Mark Tyler was back there and Jimmy Clausen was back there, a whole group of uh, of kids, and many of them very you know highly regarded prospects, and uh, you know he just started laughing. He he said, you know, I went all the way back there, and the thing I remember, you know, I saw the campus and you know, saw a whole bunch of things, but the thing I remember is that, uh, you know, we didn't even shake my hand. <laughs> I went 3,000, three uh, you know, 3,000 miles cross country, uh, and, uh, and, uh, coach, uh, coach Weiss, uh, didn't acknowledge him. And, and, uh, you know, 
he said, you know, I kind of looked at him but sideways, and he was like, well, you know, it's not, I don't really have any hard feelings. I know that things, you know, happen, and he's probably busy and, and, and everything else. And he, but he did, he did remember it, and I don't think uh, if it had been something uh, that, that uh, didn't strike him as a little bit odd, uh, he would have remembered it so vividly. Yeah, that, that's pretty, I, I laugh because it's not, this isn't a kid that was, uh, you know, unknown. I mean, he was definitely well-known. He, you know, came from the high school where, you know, Ryan Khalil came out of, and you know, I think they were getting a lot of, uh, you know, the school was getting a lot of hype. They've, they've produced some really good players there. And he was a, you know, he was a five-star guy. So it wasn't like he was a, an unknown commodity. I just I find that funny. Any five-star guy, even if you know, he's not interested in the program, you would think the head coach would want to come over and at least acknowledge the kid being there. Well, you'd think so. And I, of course, I don't know all the circumstances. I don't know what was on Charlie Weiss's schedule that day or, or how they organized their junior day. But uh, based on what uh, Gallipo had to say, it, uh, it, it, was, it was kind of interesting. It's, uh, it's, I think this uh, leads to personality questions. And I talked to uh, Coach Harvey Hyde in the first segment about this a little bit, trying to get your, your thoughts. I mean, it's Pete Carroll's personality, if you go to the junior days down there at USC – I mean, they know where the good players are and, you know, they'll, they'll pay special extra attention to those guys because, you know, it's just the way he kind of rolls and it, he keeps it competitive. He tries to run it a lot like, you know, his normal practices are that you see every day. Um, I mean, they're very competitive and his personality just seems to be well, well suited to the college game. Um, you know, you talk about Charlie Weiss and just, you know, talking about what he's done there. There's been, there've been some complaints about it. And I, I just wanted to get your thoughts on his personality, Charlie Weiss's personality and how you think it's suited for this college, you know, this game of college football that we would like. Well, you know, I don't deal with him on a daily basis like I deal with Carol. So I, I can't necessarily speak to, you know, how he operates in, or in terms of his personality. Really the only thing I've gotten with Charlie Weiss is what he presents to the media. Um, but I will say that uh, I've heard some of the same remarks that I'm, I'm sure you've heard, uh, some of the same scuttlebutt. Uh, and the problem, I think, for, um, for Charlie Weiss and for a lot of coaches, when you put them in the same conversation with Carol, is that uh, there just aren't that many, you know, maybe Urban Meyer, you know, perhaps Bob Stoops. I, I'm sure there are some others out there, but those are the guys that come to mind. Mac Brown, that, uh, they're going to be very good in the living room when they're recruiting. They're going to be very good on campus when there are recruits around. Uh, they have the kinds of personalities, um, I think, that uh, young people are going to gravitate toward. Um, and I don't know that you get that same sense um, with Charlie Weiss. Um, I, I, just, I just don't get the sense that he allows, that he's either like that or that he allows himself um, to be that way. And uh, I think with a certain kind of, uh, of high school player, that's probably appealing. And to some parents, I think it's very appealing. Um, but I don't think you can, you know, I don't think it's really a fair comparison. But to put him side by side with Carol in terms of uh, personality, uh, I'm not quite sure that's a, that's a fair comparison. Yeah, I don't know. Not too many people compare with Carol's personality. It's a pretty big one out there. Uh, let's talk about the defense a little bit. You mentioned Kevin Ellison coming back. Uh, I looked up at the stats today, and uh, you know his replacement, uh, Will Harris, actually moved his way up to like I think seventh or eighth on the team in tackles. He has uh, thirty tackles there. Uh, he seemed to come in and step in and do a really nice job in Kevin Ellison's place. It's almost like that position, you just have to be near the line of scrimmage, and you're going to make tackles in this Pete Carroll defense. 
That's what it seems like. And uh, as you mentioned, I think Harris, uh, who is a very aggressive player, uh, has, uh, has stepped in and done very well in Ellison's place. Um, it'll be interesting to see uh, if uh, Kevin gets back to near 100% uh, how much he'll play against Notre Dame because I think um, he obviously wants to play his final game in the Coliseum, and uh, I think Carroll would love to have him be able to do that. But uh, I don't think they want to put him in too much harm's way if they don't have to, uh, especially with Harris playing so well. So that, uh, that, that'll be uh, an interesting situation to watch. Yeah, if they get out to an early lead, of course. I mean, who knows what's going to happen there. But the, the leaders on defense, I don't think there's any surprise. You know, Cushing and Maluga are right up there, number one, number two. I think Maluga and Cushing actually one and two in tackles. Uh, have, have you seen them kind of mature as the year goes on? And, and what, what have you thought of their play? Well, I think they've both uh, gotten better. Uh, they, I think they both made the right decision to come back and play that final season. Um, I think, you know, for Cushing, I think it was kind of a no-brainer just because he had been hurt last year. But uh, Maluga, from start to finish, I think uh, has grown quite a bit. He seems to be um, not only making spectacular plays, which he had always made on occasion, he just seems to be uh, in the right place at the right time um, and staying on assignment a lot more than, than he used to. And I think um, uh, that's his improved play has corresponded with the uh, USC's uh, domination on defense, at least of the opponents, you know, that they've been, that they've come up against. Uh, and from everything I've heard, he continues to raise his pro stock. I think uh, Cushing benefited a little bit from uh, Ray going down against Oregon state, even though that cost, uh, you know, USC, uh, it allowed uh, Cushing to move over and play the middle and, and uh, show pro scouts that he can play inside as well as outside. So, uh, they've both definitely, I would say, benefited uh, from from playing this final season, and uh, my guess is that they will uh, both be rewarded handsomely, uh, you know, in April on draft day if uh, if they continue to play well through the end of the season and and they test well through the combine process. Yeah, and you mentioned right place at the right time. I don't know. I mean, that seems to describe Clay Matthews pretty well. I mean, he's kind of come out of nowhere, four sacks, a couple fumbles, uh, fumble recoveries, a couple of forced fumbles. He blocked a kick. He's up there with 45 tackles. I mean, he's been, I mean, he's been around the program a while, but it's been kind of surprised how well he's done and and just shining in his senior year. He's probably made some money for himself as well. Yeah, he'll be uh, he'll be another one that'll be interesting to watch on draft day, just because um, you know he he shined early, I think, in his career as a special teams guy and just one of those. Those, those guys that was always around the ball and always uh, eager to get onto the field after, you know, kind of uh, choosing to stay out his first year when he had some options to get onto the field. Uh, you know, he saved that redshirt year of uh, that love for the game that uh, the Matthews family seems to have. So um, it seems like it's all coming together for him, as you mentioned, at the right time. And uh, he's, he's obviously one of those guys that's looking for a big finish, too, to kind of uh, not only cap his career, but uh, kind of propel him to the next level. With uh, one of the seniors on the team, Patrick Turner, um, you know, kind of had a rocky career to start. I think there was a lot of expectations with the, the Mike Williams and Dwayne Jarrett tag, but, you know, he's got 500 yards. I think he, le- he leads the team with uh, eight touchdown receptions. How do you think he's progressed and what, you know, his role in the team has been? I think Turner's had a, quietly has had a very, very good year. Uh, some v- real clutch catches, uh, has 
looked really good uh, in the red zone inside the 20, has made some big, you know, big touchdown catches. And uh, I think early in the year, you know, uh, Damian Williams kind of stole the spotlight a little bit, came in as the new guy, the new tra- the transfer that was, and looked like he was going to be the guy that uh, would save them from kind of the, the foibles that they had last year with the receiving core. But uh, I think that allowed Turner, uh, again, in a quiet way, to step up, and uh, and I don't think um, you can complain too much about uh, about the season he has had for uh, for SC. I think he's he's developed at least from what I've seen over the years in practice, and and now here finally as a senior, he's using his body in a way that I think people had hoped he would early in his career, and for whatever reason, uh, he wasn't able to. But I think he's I think he's got that down now. He's using that long frame and that big frame. Um, in a way that, uh, if, if not quite as dominating as Mike Williams uh, or as as athletic as Dwayne Jarrett, he's kind of found his uh, his niche, so to speak, I guess, uh, and and the way he uses his body uh, to his advantage. So um, he's had a, he's had a good season, I'm sure. Again, he's he's a guy that's uh, that's showing NFL scouts that uh, that he may have a future at the next level as well. All right, we're with Gary Klein, the LA Times. One more for you. Sorry, Gary, we've had you on quite a while, but it's always interesting to get your insights and uh, thoughts on what's going on here. I, th- I think a lot of people are expecting a big game from the USC defense. You talked about Klaus, and they're probably going to try and get after him. The The biggest question probably going in is which USC offense is going to show up. Is it going to be the 17-point variety, or is it going to be the 40-50 kind of point variety? What, what are you expecting from this USC offense on Saturday? Um, well, uh, again, they've had two weeks for this uh, to get ready for this. I think that uh, helped Sanchez um, get a little bit healthy. I don't think he complained too much or too loudly about a sprained ankle that he had a few weeks ago, but but I think that's something that uh, that affected him. Uh, I think the coach's uh, decision to really pull back the passing game against Cal for fear of uh, interceptions uh, and how that carried over, you know, to the next couple of games um, affected him. And I think having these two weeks to get ready to get comfortable, he had success last year against Notre Dame. Um, I expect a little bit more wide open uh, attack against a defense that uh, you know has obviously struggled. So um, I wouldn't be surprised to see a much more balanced uh, look than than we saw you know in the second half against Stanford. I, to, I think they're going to give Sanchez an opportunity to throw to, to throw the ball to kind of uh, play to his aggressiveness a little bit. He's been, he's been really good at managing the game, doing what they want in terms of avoiding interceptions. But this is kind of a showcase game, and I think if, especially if they get out early, uh, I wouldn't be surprised at all to see them open it up. All right. He's Gary Klein, L.A. Times beat writer, the author, co-author of Conquest, along with David Wharton. Thank you so much for joining us and sharing all your insights on the Trojans today. Hey, Ryan, it's always good to be uh, with you, and I hope you'll have me back. Oh, definitely, for sure. And everyone else, thank you very much. That's the end of our podcast for this week. We'll be back next week talking about what happened in that Notre Dame game and giving a preview of UCLA. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can now download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player. Just search for Peristyle Podcast the next time you log into iTunes.